All right. Hello, and welcome to episode, I believe it's episode 28 of the Interim Running Podcast. I'm excited to say that we have a guest on today, Eric. Uh, he goes by That Mountain Life on Instagram, and I believe TikTok as well. Uh, he is a father, content creator, skier, snow patroller, and among a plethora of, I'm sure, many other things. But I will let Eric do a quick little introduction, if you'd like. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. Um, yeah, I, I'm a father of three kids. We live in a small mountain town in the Canadian Rocky Mountains here in British Columbia. And I document my family's outdoor adventures. Uh, I started about three years ago on YouTube and uh, Instagram. Jumped on TikTok last spring. And so I do short form, long form content. And I like just learning and, and thinking and experiencing life to the to its well I don't know it's cliche to say to its fullest but I just I, I like paying attention and, and pivoting and 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 uh just learning I, I I'm a big uh, bitcoin and crypto enthusiast and um you know we're, we're unschooling our kids we homeschool our kids we, we eat whole food plant-based so we've done a good job ostracizing ourselves from a bunch of parts of mainstream society and uh it's uh, just part of part of my path, and it's it's just fun doing what we do. I'm trying to just intentionally design a life that I want to be living instead of being asleep and doing things I don't want to do. Fair enough. It sounds amazing. Yeah, why not do all of those things, right? <laughs> it's funny because yeah. I have I, I have a second podcast actually with a guy named Ray. I don't know if you've ever come across him. He's uh, transcending me on TikTok and Coalition for You on Instagram, um, but we have. He's actually Canadian as well. He lives on Vancouver Island on a small town, Vancouver Island. Okay. But yeah, he's a he's a bald guy. He's 42, I think. But it, he has one daughter. He homeschools. It sounds like he's, yeah, you, you kind of remind me a little bit of him in, in certain ways. But um, it's awesome. I love your content, especially the ski content. I've I've always skied since I was like four years old. So I, uh, I, I dabble in some ski content here and there. Sometimes like my YouTube day in the life vlogs, like I made a couple last winter. I pretty much, uh, my parents have a house in park city. So I, I lived there last year working remote, um, for a while, but, uh, yeah, I, I love it. And I love all of your content. It's really cool, but yeah, I'm curious what initially got you into creating content like what made you want to start was there a certain switch or was it kind of gradually just started posting some videos of your family and kids or, or what was the initial type of content I guess as well there yeah it's, it's a mul there's multiple reasons why I started and I think it kind of stemmed from like that are you familiar with Gary V oh yeah um, yeah okay. so as far as like being on social media, listening to Gary B, understanding the way the world is going. And by world, I mean just our tech society. That there was that kind of component. And so there's like that hustle culture or that idea of like, instead of like binge watching Netflix at night, like could I learn a new skill that would become valuable or of value from just a hiring standpoint, let alone my own stuff taking off, like question mark, don't know. Um, but I just kind of valued the idea of hopping on YouTube to watch tutorials on how to make videos. I dabbled as a teenager on like in student council and uh, certain things. I ended up being the guy and trying to like muck around with some videos and an English project. So I had like edited videos and understood a timeline and basic things. But I 
I didn't know. I, I was a late adopter. I like I was anti Facebook and, and I didn't hop on social media for a long time. I got Instagram about three years ago. Like I think it was yeah three maybe three and a half years. But then I didn't post for the first like six months. And so I just I was just interested in learning and trying to make a, a new like learn a new skill. And then the the consolation prize was I could document my family's outings and create a little memory pool of our adventures even if it's just some crappy gopro footage and i put it together with some music it's a little bit more palatable to watch than it, than if i had all this unedited clips like it's hard to go back and watch 40 clips from a camping trip but if i put together a two-minute highlight reel it's kind of like easy on the eyes to watch yeah certainly yeah and it, it is really enjoyable to watch it's funny you mentioned gary v because he's one of the people who i credit with getting myself into content like really thinking about you know why we value other people's perceptions of our lives so much. Like I used to live my life based on that. I talk about it a lot and just living based on other people's perceptions just doesn't make any sense. And so hearing his, I think I first came across him maybe three or four years ago and then finally started making content a year and a half ago. And, and that's how it kind of started for me, but it's cool. It sounds kind of similar to you. My, my stuff kind of just like evolves as I evolve and, and it's fun to be able to, document things as I go, not necessarily like I'm documenting a family's life or anything, but I'm almost like documenting myself and my own journey. And I can even, if I go back, I don't even like sometimes going back to my videos from last year because my energy is just so much different that I'm almost like, oh my God, who is that person? But it's cool to see. So is has that been, I guess it's it's got to be a pretty enjoyable thing to be able to incorporate your family seemingly so seamlessly into it. Do you ever find times where you kind of struggle balancing that and, and having your kids and family in your content and then kind of keeping that separate, choosing like when you kind of like are creating content and when you're not creating content or does it, has it kind of like evolved so that it flows pretty naturally? Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's hard to just, it might be hard for me to describe, but I can talk about my thoughts about it. And Gary V's concept of document, don't create is what made me, it's what gave me permission to myself, empowered me to hit record and post something without it being curated or perfect. So, so the, the, the perfection piece, I gave myself permission to just let go of perfection and to just post. So hit record whatever happens. And I mean, if any, if any parents are listening, it's like the idea, like most parents can relate to the idea of like trying to get your photos together for like a family photo shoot is just like annoyingly impossible. Like you tell a kid to go left, they go right. And you tell them to smile for a photo and come here. And so the idea of staging clips and shots and turning my family to like talents where they need to like stay stage left until I'm ready for the shot when the sun it's like that is not what I'm doing I literally tell myself hit record and whatever happens happens now for example my my one son my oldest one last winter he started he's seven he can rip he's starting to ski really fast and I just told him I was like hey if you want me to film you if you ever want to be in some of daddy's videos you need to like let me go downhill sometimes and maybe let your brother go down first and then you could go right so a little bit of just about like coaching and, and an awareness piece of like i have a hard time filming you when you ski as fast as you can because i'm only going to get you for two seconds and so there's that part of it 
literally less than 1% is like, hey, stay there while I get in position and then I'll try to like them. But I do do that occasionally. And so that makes it more, it makes it flow for me a lot more because I'm just like, yeah, the camera's on. We're doing something cool, like doing something that we love doing, biking, paddling in the like winter is our jam. Winter is my bread and butter content for sure. And it just flows. And I'm, I mean, I'm in between gigs now where like this is becoming my full time thing and I'm not working as a paramedic as much. I still ski patrol three days a week and it takes a lot of time. So what I am realizing is I'm working from home, carving my own hours out, creating content. And I'm in the office now, instead of going away to work, working for myself. So there's that kind of like entrepreneur balance of like being a dad stay with our kids being homeschooled and working from home. So that has to like, I just have to be intentional about that. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Yeah. I think people have this mixed misconception about content creators and it's just like this, oh, like foofy kind of like life where you just, oh, I just get to film stuff. But it like editing is my least favorite part. I love just like flipping on the camera and talking and like just making videos and stuff. So I kind of, I allow myself similarly, the whole document don't create like perfectionism is just insecurity being masked as perfectionism essentially um, has helped me a ton because I've started doing more like YouTube vlogs, just like day in the life vlogs. And I try and just post a bunch and, and not be too nitpicky about what is going into it or, you know, having the perfect cuts or anything like they're, they're quite raw. I film it all on my phone and I have the 4k on my iPhone. So like it is at least decent quality, but I think a lot of people, when it comes to creating content, they think they have to create something. And it's like, no, everyone has a story to tell. I think so many people could, if not every single person on earth could be creating content. It's a lot of times just fear of failure, fear of judgment, how people are going to perceive you, um, which was a big reason that I didn't do it for so long. And I'm grateful that I sort of was able to overcome that. But yeah, when it comes to documenting, not creating, I can imagine that just makes it much easier for you to not have these, you know, perceptions of how you think your content is supposed to look. And then all of a sudden, like you're just recording and something cool happens and it's like you put it out there and, and whether even the idea of something being cool or good is all uh, like conceptual and it's not, it's very subjective. It's not objective. So some people might really think something's really cool that you may not, but if, if you at least have the clip and you put it out there, it's like, you never really know what's going to blow up all the time. And as long as you're enjoying doing it and putting it out there, like who's to tell you otherwise. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's a challenge. It's, it's a, it, it's, it's a great create. That was the other reason I started was having a creative outlet. Like that was a new, I don't draw, journal, write, you know, I was just consuming content. And I was like, wait a minute, I want to like, I, I knew there was value or I would, in, I would learn and potentially grow from the opportunity of, of creating something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's kind of what, honestly, for me, a lot of it started from just, I was watching YouTube and I've always been into fitness and I was watching a lot of fitness YouTubers and I was like, I like, I could do stuff like this. Like I watched a couple day in the life videos and I was like, this is, I could, I could do this. This is filmed on an iPhone. I have an iPhone. I, I live a life like yeah. I can do this. And, and so, yeah, it, it just kind of started from there. And then I came across TikTok and, and it's kind of taken off from there. But when, it's, when, did it's, on, when did you start on TikTok? 
uh, end of July of 2020. I, or I posted one video in June just because Gary Vee was talking so much about TikTok. So I made like a little recipe video, I think in June, and then didn't post anything for like two months. And then I did a day in the life YouTube vlog, took the intro of that uh, and put it on TikTok. So it was, it was a reenactment of the dodgeball scene where uh, White Goodman has, I don't know if you've seen that, but he has his nipples clamped and he's got like a donut in front of him and he, or a pizza and he keeps like shocking himself to try and like convince himself not to eat the donut. Like in the know. movie Dodgeball? Yeah, yeah. I I've seen it eons ago, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I reenacted that sort of clip and made it the intro to my YouTube day in the life vlog. And then I had that video. So I was like, oh, I have a TikTok account. Might as well put it on there. It seems like something people watch. It's kind of silly. And then it went viral and I got like three or 4,000 followers from that. And then I just, it's like, all right, screw it. I might as well just keep making stuff. I've already decided I'm going to start making content. So might as well see what this TikTok thing does but cool. yeah right on yeah yeah so when uh how did it when you decided to start creating was it like what were the initial types of videos were you just hitting record in family environment like i don't i don't know what your initial videos looked like was it a lot of ski content or did it start with something else and kind of evolve into those types of no, things november of 2018 i was Bite. I took, I had my, uh, my knockoff GoPro, like a E 4k sport action camera and a phone. And I bought a cheap like accessory kit. And I just started, I was watching a few other vloggers, um, Casey Neistat. Um, there was another guy that was doing Cody, Coney Wainer, Coney. He was like daily vlog. So I was, I was just consuming YouTube content and, and listening to these like creatives blogging and talking about content and creating vlogs about vlogging. It's kind of like this, meta meta vlogging world of what all these creators talk about sometimes and so i just went out with like a little bike ride around like literally my first few vlogs yeah they were like in the kitchen and biking around maybe like two or three day in the life for me just saying like this is me making a terrible video and i want to put it out to the world and get find my like workflow and that was leading up into ski season because what i had done prior to that was make one video of like each uh, definitely my oldest kid because he's obviously older I skied with him longer when he was two I would do like a video of him skiing at the end of the year because he was at his pinnacle of that season right at the end of the year he's the oldest he's the biggest he's the most seasoned and so every year I kind of made a year-end video of my kids before I started making content so I was totally skiing motivated and, and capturing the the joy I have of skiing with my kids and their abilities and just like putting it out there but after I started uh, doing some intro vlogs on YouTube, I was trying to get ramped up for like a workflow of ski videos that was going to be more of like a, I mean, I didn't put a, I didn't pressure myself and say, oh, you're going to make one every week or whatever. I found one a week really hard to do at the start. Um, I don't even think I was there last year. I need to take the odd week off and it's exhausting skiing 110 days a year and parenting three kids and editing videos. And so... The skiing is what started is, is, is my motivation for it's because it's just my I have such a zest and a passion for it. And so when I hit record, I'm literally I feel like I'm just sharing a true part of me and a real passion. And that's like kind of the best type of content that I want to watch when somebody's amped up on something and jazz and it's their passion and they can talk about it. It's usually more enticing content. Right. Yeah. 
certainly it's almost just like an extension of yourself rather than trying to be this like separate curated thing that you're trying to like become a part of you. It's like, it's already a part of you. You're just expressing it more clearly yeah. and expressing that passion that you have. And, and I think people can very much feel that like people say, you know, you walk into a room and there are vibes of the room. Like, I think there are vibes in people's content. And I see that certainly with your content. Like, I think that's why people are drawn to it. Like there, there are a lot of skiing related videos out there, but there's a reason that certain people choose to follow your skiing outdoors related videos. And I think it very much is like people can sense that sort of authenticity. Like you are clearly very passionate about it. You enjoy it. You know, you love your family. You love just like creating and sharing things. And at the end of the day, like everyone has that opportunity. People, some people just like take advantage of it a little bit more, but I think it's definitely something that people can sense in things when you're being authentic and not trying to be something that you're not, you're just being yourself and, and sharing it with the world. Totally. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm curious. This is more like for me personally, cause I'm kind of at a stage where I, I still have a full-time job, but I really enjoy doing content. I've been doing more and more podcast episodes. I have a second podcast and just like figuring out ways to monetize. I'm curious when you started looking into that and like the main ways that you sort of monetize with things is it a lot of brand deals or uh, other types of connected content or what is, and what's your sort of mindset been with that? Well, I'm not there. I'm not fully there yet. That's for sure. Um, we, you know, what, what February 1st of last year. So 10 months ago, I had 3000 followers on Instagram and I, and I wasn't on TikTok. So this is all still pretty new. And by the end of April, you know, I had 130,000 Instagram followers or whatever. Like it just blew, it blew. There was, I basically got over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram in two months because of my mic'd up uh, content of my daughter. And so some pro it starts with product sponsorships and a few paid ones. And I, I hired, I ended up hiring after like four or five months, a team from my town, two gals, great skills. Um, they just launched their own digital marketing thing. And the the short answer is, is it's hard. It's tougher than like, like stuff doesn't just land on your lap. Like, you know, it's easy to be like, Hey, I've got 400,000. I've got over half a million followers on all my platforms, like pay me to make a video. And it's like, it doesn't, doesn't quite work that way. Um, so I've only, I, we've gotten some big ticket product sponsorships now in the form of like ski gear for the family. And uh, so head, head skis is a sponsor of ours and, and they're decking us out head to toe, which is awesome. All five of us too, which is like not cheap when you think about how expensive ski gear is. And we're talking boots, helmets, bite, like goggles, ski, everything. So that's like worth a lot of my income that would have to go to that for our family. Um, bikes, our kids got suited up with mountain bikes from a butt company called womb bikes in the U S so like there's big ticket. So those big ticket sponsorship items for products, uh, help me, but at the end of the day, I want to pay the mortgage too. I will, I literally want to be able to make between 40 and 60 grand a year. Like I, I'm not, we don't, we live, we live off about 70 grand a year Canadian. So it's like, if I could make 50, 60 K a year doing the social media stuff and, and through brand deals and a little bit of AdSense, So YouTube AdSense 
you know, my my summer content doesn't get nearly the amount of views as winter. I'm hoping to be able to like double my subscribers on on YouTube this winter. And you know, that's there's royalties that roll in from those videos, so that 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 helps a little bit. But I think I need to not be afraid to to hire the right person. I'm I'm moving on from my previous team, and they they think it's a good fit too for me to just move on and try to find somebody with the connections with brand sponsorships. And I'm still learning and navigating this. So I don't, I don't have a great answer for you other than nothing's a gimme. That's what I've learned. Yeah. I mean, we always are right. But it's, it's nice just to hear other people's perspectives. And I think, yeah, I think that's the more I talk to people about it, the more it's like, yeah, it's not just this thing that happened. Like, I think people think that, oh, you have, you know, now I have like over close to 600,000 on TikTok and like 20,000 on Instagram. And, and they're like, oh, you must just make a bunch of money from that. It's like, no, that's not how it works, man. Like I have a, I, I wrote it like, go ahead. Well, I get, I get hit up every week for a brand sponsorship deal on TikTok or Instagram. And I say no, 98% of the time, because it's not on point with my brand. So I am getting offers and they all, they're always like, send us, send us your fee schedule or how much would it cost for you to make this video? And, let us know, you know, and, and I'm sure I could have made 10 or 20 grand with a bunch of crap, but it's like not on point with my brand or my values. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's such an that's important part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Such an important piece. And I think when you think about, you know, advertising a product, if, if it aligns with your brand, then there's nothing, there's absolutely no downside to it whatsoever. Cause it's the people following, it's going to bring them value as well. But if you pick the wrong thing, then all of a sudden you're trading your audience's trust for a certain amount of money. So like I, I have yet to do any brand stuff. I haven't, I get similarly a lot of DMS and emails, you know, asking to do a sponsored post or whatever. And I'm just like, I've just kind of said, no, there might've been a couple that would have been fine to work with, I think, but I've just, I don't know. I just, I just have been staying away from it. I don't need it right now. So I'd rather just kind of like continue mm -hmm. doing it because I enjoy it. And I have my job, which allows me to not have to worry about monetizing right now. So, and it's, it's been not so busy that I can't, do both. And I also prioritize doing the content stuff. Like I'm, it's always kind of top of mind. I, I really enjoy it. So I think that's something else that people who are thinking about getting into this space, they hear a lot that like, Oh, you don't like your job, just quit. And it's like, well, hold on. Like, do you actually, is this thing that you think you love so much, like this sort of lifestyle, do you actually love it so much? Cause if you're not putting the hours in outside of your job, if you have a nine to five, you still have, you know, <laughs> outside of sleeping like eight hours a day and for like, I don't know, 25, 30 hours on the weekend to do these things. So like until you're spending that time on this, don't think about quitting your job immediately, like figure out if it's what you actually enjoy. Cause if you do actually enjoy it, you have a decent amount of time in a day. And like you were saying before, if, if you, you know, don't necessarily binge Netflix for five hours every night, you have the time it, it's there. So if, if it is your passion, you'll find the time for it. Totally. And the, the one other income source I forgot to mention, um, related, but, and it, it's more for my niche, but tourism organizations have money from governments and tax dollars to literally promote areas. And so from like a family 
tourism niche perspective, we we are great candidates and have partnered up with a couple of of those. So those are like paid gigs to come and experience and showcase an area. So instead of it being a product that we are like teaming up with the sponsor, it's um, more of like an experience sponsorship or like, you know, again, they're, they're paying me for my time and my reach. And I really enjoy this hybrid concept of like marketing. I have a friend who's a VP of marketing for resorts of the Canadian Rockies. Great guy. He's in my corner. He's a very supportive of me. And he sort of talks about this hybrid marketing agency where it's like, I'm not a cinematographer or like a videographer making like sexy, smooth 4k like footage. And I mean, I, I, I dabbled and it's so fun to try to go there and do that. But like, I'm not like a top notch videographer. And I'm also not a big marketing firm in the city that does billboards or commercials on TV or have access to those networks. But I'm there. What social media 2.0 has allowed us to become is like, I'm a creator and make videos to some degree of proficiency. And I have marketing reach for very specific targeted niche of outdoor adventure gear and family products. And so there's this hybrid business model that I, I think if I, if I really gain some clarity on that and, and pitch it in that way and say like, Hey, I'm the new one-stop marketing shop for video content. It's like, in the old days, you you pay four or five K or 10 K for a videographer to show up and film this product anyway. And then you have to pay a third party agency to, to connect and send it out there. Like you're already 15 K deep, pay me five or more, right? Pay me five K, pay me 10 K. And we're going to like target the audience. Cause this product is more specific or this experience is going to land. And I have 500,000 followers that are, that might be more interested in this experience or so like, it just seems like an almost more efficient way of like funneling marketing energy and, and money out there. So that, that's my new business model pitch. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It seems like it makes a lot more sense and, and you're able to, if you're able to incorporate a product or a type of thing that is sponsoring you into a typical type of video that you make, it's like, it's so seamless and people enjoy your content. They, have trust in you clearly. And so it's almost like it makes a lot of sense. It's not necessarily an area that I have done a ton of digging into. I think I will more so as, as I just continue, you know, creating or continue documenting and whatnot. But um, it's, it's very interesting. I think things are beginning to shift because I mean, I just know, like I work a digital advertising job. It's, it's mostly programmatic. I don't work as much on like with, other like influencers on the other side of it at all. But I think it's kind of crazy. I work for, it's a, I work at like an agency, but we, one of our bigger clients uh, is my main client and seeing how much money they spend on these things that like the conversion rates are not that great. And they're kind of just like throwing money around and they don't really care, you know, 10, hundred grand here and there overspend, underspend, like whatever, not to say that like that happens all the time, but it's just like they're throwing around so much money and their budgets are so big. And if they were, I think there's going to start to be more and more of a shift and we're already seeing it with utilizing people as, you know, the sort of placement where you want your product to be. There's already a specific audience, like, especially looking on TikTok, like TikTok has every single thing out there. I mean, YouTube too, Instagram too, but it's like any 
concept, any sort of niche that you want to find, it's out there and the product can align with the person and the person can align with the product and, and just have a much more targeted approach to the consumer, like just right to their psyche as opposed to, you know, in this, like everyone's used to on TV or just like random stuff online. It's like actually, you know, meshed into the content that's already being created and they're already consuming. Totally. Yeah, no, I want to, I want to streamline that kind of concept and even like have a good pitch. Right. And I, I kind of struggle or sometimes I, my energy, some companies are like, Hey, we get digital marketing advertising and like using influencers makes sense. And they're like easier to work with. Cause they're just like, yeah, we should shower these guys with our products and, and maybe even pay them thousand bucks or 5,000 bucks here. And then other companies, you want to partner with them, but they're like, uh, like we don't have a budget for that. Or like we, it's almost like I, there's like, there's this convincing energy of like, whoever's making the calls has to like, you know, they're gatekeeping and, or, you know, and they have their budgets and that's fair, but I just find like having to convince a company to work for you. It's like, it's not really going to work out as well. I don't think in a sense, it's nice when they, when it lines so well, they, they, they just reach out to me. And I'm just like, yeah, that's a product we've already been using or would use, or we have used in the past, or I know your brand and I'm familiar. So this becomes really like, like more efficient and seamless. Right. Yeah, certainly. I get that too. Like if they're not excited about your content and the potential to work with you, like, I don't know, that would, that would turn me off pretty quick too. Cause yeah. I, I think some people see it and some people don't, and it's the same with, you know, a lot of things that are shifting in the world these days and just seeing, you know, what, what could be changed and the opportunities that we have. And I think you mentioned uh, Bitcoin and crypto before I'm big into Bitcoin and, and crypto and, and that whole world. It's very intriguing to me. I got into Bitcoin through a friend who is like crazy about, he's just about Bitcoin. He thinks everything else is, you know, eventually going to zero. So he has he's his- a Bitcoin maxi. He's a maximalist. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So he got me into it. Uh, I was texting, he was texting me and another friend. Uh, it was last July of 2020, similar to the time that I actually started on content. And he was like, do you guys have any Bitcoin? And I was like, oh no, I had these excuses. Like, oh, I just invested in some other stuff. And he's like, you're both idiots. I was like, what? <laughs> All right. Uh, tell me more. So I actually listened to him and kind of went down that Bitcoin rabbit hole and watched a ton of interviews. And, and it was very intriguing. And I saw like the stock to flow chart. And that's kind of what like flipped the switch for me. I was like, oh, this isn't just like random spikes happening. It's like very much you know, a path that's makes sense. So yeah. When did, when did you first get introduced to it or, or how uh, was your path into that been? When I was 26 years old, I became a dad by accident, unplanned. And I wanted to be smart with money. I wanted, because I knew money, I, like trading my time for money as, as a dad for indefinitely isn't something I wanted to do. And I, I don't know, I guess I was smart enough or aware enough to like be open to, to reading some finance books. So I kind of read a couple of traditional finance books, The Wealthy Barber, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, just kind of like followed the boomers tracks of like, oh, you're supposed to put away 10% every month. The problem was like, I, we lived a ski bum, frugal mountain lifestyle. And like, I didn't always have like cash flow. We kind of like, I didn't have this high paying corporate job or like a lot of extra 
but I still knew that like, you know, if you only have $500 to start, start with $500, start with a hundred, start with 50, like, you know, 10% compounding is 10% compounding. It doesn't matter um, how much you start with. And so I sat down with a few advisors and started learning, reading the books. And then I, we had the, the marijuana pot stock booms was starting and this is pre-legalization in Canada. And I, I decided to put some real estate money. So we ended up selling a house and renting for a bit. And I was like, over this idea of being sold and stuck on home ownership being the only best investment I could have. And I was looking for more risk and more opportunity. And I was okay renting if we couldn't buy again and all this stuff. But I piled a bunch of money into weed stocks. It did pretty good. And at the same time, somehow on the internet, on probably a, on, on my YouTube feed, I started learning about Bitcoin. I can't even remember the video or where, which, which page or I don't, it could have even been an ad on a browser for all I know. And uh, luckily didn't fall for any, succumb to any scams or anything, which there are out there, you know, phishing scams and all sorts of too good to be true crypto enticements. And I, ha I have a poker background. I played a lot of poker and I have a, uh, that that's allowed me um, to appreciate variance when it comes to making the right decisions and still having a, a negative outcome in terms of a losing outcome of your sides of your poker stack. And so I just knew that like, if you find something and you had conviction behind an asset class that was going to trend upwards in market cap and adoption that you can, you can drown out all the noise and all the, all the daily swings and all the, even the big swings of bear markets. And if you can hold on for five to 10 years into like a young volatile asset class, the returns are ginormous compared to, I know ginormous isn't a real word. They're gigantic compared to like that boomer, I'm generalizing here, but, but compared to traditional equities and making your seven or 8% a year on average, right? So I was just looking for high risk, high return plays, being willing to stay, withstand the volatility and understanding that volatility works both ways. That's how you make money on the upside is if you can enter a young asset class when there's not much money in it. And as more money piles in, it goes up. Certainly. Yeah. Especially starting young is a huge key too, because you can, you know, withstand that volatility and, and Bitcoin does it for you. I mean, since I, I mean, I got in at a good time, um, July of 2020 was when I got, I, I still invest pretty regularly, especially when there's dips like right now, um, yeah. toss a little more in, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it helps just, being in it for the long term for sure and kind of understanding you know the the value underneath it that is being driven through it especially you know listening to a lot of people much smarter than me talk about it and explain it in ways that I can't explain but for me when I first got in I was like I I can be uh pretty pretty open and willing to put in some risky stuff figuring you know you can always make more money so it's uh yeah, especially when I'm you know I'm 26 now, so um, awesome. being willing to uh to go through that, but yeah, it's it's something that I I talk to people and I I tried to convince uh, my my parents. I actually convinced my mom to get in a little bit. My dad's my dad's tougher. He doesn't he if he doesn't fully understand something, he's he's not getting in on it, which is you know served him well through his life, and you know yeah. he you know, he hasn't gotten any into any like really shitty situations with stuff like that, which happens on the flip side of it. But my mom's, I have a little bit more of her, uh, you know, not, not gambling wise, but just like willing to, willing to be a little riskier. So I was yeah. able to convince her to get in a little bit, uh, last Thanksgiving about a year ago. 
Right but, on. Um, yeah, yeah, it's fun to see and kind of fun to be a part of. Are you involved more into any like with NFTs or like on the Ethereum side of it, like you know, Web 3.0? And I'm not super familiar with that, but just that whole sort of like metaverse movement. Um, my only exposure to that is my bag, which I'm very happy with. And I'm, I mean, I wish it was bigger. Um, I believe blue chip, the blue chips of Bitcoin and Ethereum are essential. And um, I mean, I'm not interested in like, I have a high risk, um, a risk tolerance for investing. And I, I also kind of know, I don't know, I have my limits and I have my boundaries. And I, I'm not nerdy enough and techy enough and was like, and I, I, ne I didn't dabble in NFTs yet. Other, so other than my exposure, I believe investing in Ethereum is a very reasonable um, asset to invest in for Web 3.0 and NFTs, right? Because everything's being built on top of ETH and, and whatnot on that Ethereum uh, network. And I mean, not everything, but a, a lot of the intellectual capital is flowing to Ethereum. And it's like crazy how much, like, I think people underestimate how much further ahead Ethereum is over the Ethereum killers like Cardano and Algo, like other, other platforms that are trying to do the same thing that are just smart contract platforms. Like there is a lot of, of intellectual capital and, and capital itself in the Ethereum network. And they are doing what they can to scale um, intentionally smart, you know, like with, with, with uh, intelligence. And um, I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot more risk with other uh, smaller cap and medium cap plays than people realize. Like in 10 to 20 years, I can confidently say, I'm pretty sure Bitcoin and Ethereum are gonna be here. But everything else, including number three and four on the list, it's like, if, if it's around, it might be number 100 or 200. And it's not like, you know, as promising as it was. And because like, if you go back every three to four years and you look over the last 12 years of crypto, like the top 10 list keeps changing. Um, so yeah, I used to spend 90 minutes a night listening to, to a couple of YouTubers. And every time I was learning, I was going down that rabbit hole of, of the value of Bitcoin. And, and I truly believe it's going to make the world a better place. So there's this, I want to make money. And I also enjoy investing in things that are going to benefit humanity. And so it's kind of a win-win. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you on that for sure. And it is important, I think, to keep that balance. And I have like vast, vast majority of my crypto investments are Bitcoin and Ethereum. I did get, I think I have like five NFTs that I was just like, uh, here's some bigger, you know, projects that are well known. If this does, you know, do something crazy in well, two years, I'll just toss them in here and see what happens. If I lose it, you know, so be it. And then I recently got into, uh, this is like way riskier than any of the other stuff, but uh, staking uh, with, I think it's time wonderland. It's okay. like, okay. So you're staking in, in the, in, in Decentraland or in some kind of metaverse thing. Yeah. In, in a DeFi thing. Yeah. It's time. It's staking time. Um, that coin or asset, or I don't even, I, I should know more about it given that I've invested in it, but, um, yeah, that's something that I came across. A buddy told me about it. It's like insane returns that I am very aware could just like go to zero, yeah. but it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, all right, if it, if it does run up, I'm going to pull my investment and just leave whatever else is in there and let it ride for a bit. But you know, if it, if it hits, if it goes crazy, cool. If, if not, I'll be okay too. So I, I try and keep that in mind. And, and yeah, like most of what I have 
by a lot is Bitcoin and Ethereum. Cause yeah, Bitcoin, I really think, I don't think there's anything that's comparable as, as even though people will say that like, Oh, it's a lot slower, you know, it's old news. It's like, you know, gold, whatever equivalent. It's not, doesn't have the functionality of all of these other things. It's, it's like that long, it's a long-term it's considered an asset. It's like having digital gold. There's, and there's, many reasons why it will be here longer than others. And just the idea that it's deflationary in itself, there's a, there's a fixed cap in itself. Like a lot of these other things don't have that. And that's, that's a huge part of it. And I think people just kind of write that off sometimes when they get into all the other, you know, shit coins and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think having that balance of, you know, willing to risk, but also, you know, not going crazy where you're just completely, gambling uh, 100% is is important especially as you know you get more responsibilities as you know you get a little older and whatnot I mean one one other part I want to share about this because I have a I had a friend that we talked investments with and he he's more risk off and I like I've ended up putting in uh, over six figures I don't mind being transparent with money but I put over six figures into 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 crypto and that was over the last four and a half years or so and so it's done very well. And I'm still holding on because I'm talking, I'm, I'm trying to, I mean, it's not this like more is better, but here, here's part of my story. My friend couldn't believe, like he couldn't sleep at night, right? With that amount of money and such a risky asset. Where for me, I had like kissed that 100K goodbye because I didn't need it. My life, it's this, this, and I know, I think this could, this could maybe land with your followers or your type of, mindset and spiritual type abundance piece. It's like my life is already so full that I was like, I want to have more wealth because I don't want to trade my time for a paycheck forever. But I love the lifestyle I've had it have. And I love the jobs I have to make money and support my family. And I was like, if I lose this 100k, my life is still so good. But if I'm right about this 100k, I'm changing like multiple generations coming down. Like my kids' lives are going to be different. And like, you know, there's entitlement issues and different conversations to go on about that. Like, you know, to, like, like easy times can make some, for some pretty weak men out there. And so it's like, I don't just want to like hand my kids a bunch of wealth, but it's like, there's things I could do in my community. If I make mega wealth, there's the ways you can contribute to the world. And I already have an abundance of wealth. So there was that, I literally made peace with being enough and having enough before I invested and kept just kind of almost, almost seemingly stupidly invest that much money into something that most of the main, like most of my, like my friend and most people are like, you're, you're nuts, you're crazy. And I was thinking that line between like crazy and doing something that feels right and true is it's a perception thing, but it's like, it's so thin. It's like, well, maybe I am a little bit fucking crazy. And I was like, that's okay. You know, so that that's part of my investing thesis and part of why I so I always advocate only invest in what, you know, and if it's going to be risky, you got to be willing to lose it. And I was honestly willing to lose over 100K because it's just it's just money. It's not a big deal. And it's like I was designing a life I wanted to live without that money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I fucking love that. And it's so important to keep in mind, like what's enough. And I've been posting more and more videos about just like this idea that we're always striving for more. And I, I catch myself too, because 
I never, when I started creating content, it was just something I imagined being old. I thought back on my life. I pictured being a hundred years old. What do I regret about my life? It was not creating more content for whatever reason that just kept coming up. So I was like, fuck it. I know I'm going to regret this. I'm going to start doing it. I had no expectations of anything whatsoever. I didn't do it to gain followers. I didn't do it to, you know, get rich and famous. I just did it because I knew I would regret it if I didn't. So just the day that I started doing it, I had already succeeded. There was nothing more that I needed out of it. But there are times where I catch myself like in certain, you know, I want more followers or views on videos and I get sort of tied up in that. Then I sit back and, and think like, I never wanted this to begin with. I've already succeeded. So I, I catch myself regularly just like, and I don't get too down that path too often, but like just here and there, it'll, uh, it'll come up. And something I did that's helped me a lot, um, was, I think it was a year or two ago, I made a list or sort of two lists and I split it down the middle and it's, it was things that make me happy. And on one side, it was things that cost money thing. And the other side, it's things that don't cost money. And it helped me because it allowed me to understand more clearly. Cause if you don't take the time to do that, like you have an idea of what makes you happy, but like you, it may not be as clear. So what I noticed from it were a couple of things, but one of them being my list for things that made me happy that didn't cost money was way longer than the thing, than the side that costs money. And then cool. on the side that costs money, it was like not that many things. And so because naturally I've always grown up as like a saver. I, I never really, it was, it's almost was harder for me to allow myself to spend more money. I was coming from that side and especially living in New York for my first year. Like I was very, very frugal when I was with myself, like when I was with friends, you know, I, you don't want to be the cheap guy out there at all. But like when I was by myself, I was very cheap with myself. Like I made a certain, my initial, uh, starting salary for my job was I think 60,000. I lived like I was making 30,000 essentially. Right. And it allowed me, like I saved a lot. So I was actually able to make some investments with things that allowed me to grow my wealth pretty quick when certain things came along. Cause I didn't have necessarily an idea for why I was saving money, but I knew it was just like, I didn't need to spend more money just to spend more money. And I think there's a lot of factors that tie into that. And a lot of it is, you know, other people's perceptions of you and trying to live based on other people's perceptions. You, a lot of times will find yourself spending money on things you don't actually need or like, or want to impress people you don't actually like. So uh, I think there's a lot of things that come into play with that. But for me, understanding that was hugely helpful and just taking the time to think about things that actually make me happy. And so now it's like some of my favorite things to do, like the things on my list that cost money that make me happier, traveling, skiing, going to the beach. And that's like the things that sort of cost money. I mean, skiing, I get the Epic Pass. So that's, you know, eight, 900 bucks a year and then traveling. So I'm, I'm more okay with spending that money or going on a ski trip with my friends and, you know, those can get expensive buying flights and whatnot, but then keeping in mind that there's very few things. So when it, when it comes to other things, like for clothes, for example, I rarely get new clothes. Like, I think I've had this shirt for a few years. Like most of my clothes are, are pretty old. They still fit or in decent condition, but so I think keeping in mind just what 
you need and, and what you have and when enough is enough will allow you then when it comes back to investing to throw, if you believe in something, you're like, fuck it, I'll throw, you know, 10, 20, 30 grand into this. Cause I don't need that money. I already have plenty. And, and if, if I'm right and this hits, that'll turn into, you know, maybe 10 X in the next, you know, five years, but sort of my mindset when it comes to spending money and investing and whatnot. Most people I believe have limiting thoughts around money and also time and work and all that. Like, I feel like we could be there, there, this is the, like the digital gold rush. And it's like, like before you needed to be literally a, uh, willing to have the balls to go travel to Alaska and follow a gold rush back in the day, or you needed to like be a prince or princess sitting on an oil field to like benefit from, right. Or you needed to be, uh, an intellectual or, or like had the smarts of computer programming and what, what not to be a part of the dot com era. Like never before have we had the gatekeepers removed and the accessibility to invest as venture capitalists ourselves in a digital gold rush. And so I think a lot of people that are working that are making between 60 and 100K a year could work for five to 10 more years, especially if they become hyper savers and invest 30 to 40% of their income in, into digital assets in a, in, a, in a smart way with a bit of a plan. They are done working in less than a decade. Like it, it doesn't take, and like that seems like almost seems like scamish to somebody like people are just like, no, I'm supposed to like get that degree and work 40 years. And like, that's what I got to do. I got to work 50 years now because of inflation. It's like, you don't have to, like you don't, you don't have to. And it's like, all the information is out there, but the beliefs are just limiting and people aren't going to act or shift or want to like change it up. Yeah, certainly. And that's sort of become, I think even just you saying that it kind of hit me just my mindset when it comes to content creation. Like I haven't really monetized a ton. I wrote a short little ebook uh, a couple months ago that I have in my profile that's, I do a, a bunch of discounts for it. So it's usually around like six to $9, but it's typically 15. So like I made have some you, money off how, that. How many have you sold? Uh, I've sold like 120 or 140 that's awesome. or something. Yeah. I should write book on how to keep skiing fun and how to teach kids and sell it for eight bucks you know yeah yeah that's my thing too is i i, I do like discounts so it's usually I'll, a lot of times i'll do like big discounts just because i want people to have it and it's like it's something that allows me to you know get something out of this stuff having a following but a lot of times it'll be six bucks with discount codes and it's never really more than ten dollars i'll literally in the link right like use this discount to get it like 40 percent off yeah. or something but yeah i think i think for me it's like especially with you know the cryptocurrency the bitcoin stuff in like i don't plan on selling anytime soon. And if I can sort of in, like you said, in 10 years, have that as, you know, there that I can, I don't know, borrow off of here and there or whatever, and then just be making some income that isn't something, anything crazy off of content. So just so that I don't have to work a job on top of it and just be able to travel and make videos and make vlogs and TikToks and whatever, and just do that stuff. Cause that's what I really enjoy doing most. I don't hate my day job, but it's definitely not something I'm super passionate about. So yeah. in, you know, five to 10 years, if I'm able to sort of use that and not have to rely on content to make, you know, 
a ton of money, but just enough to like sort of pay the bills and then have the investments kind of building in the background, I think be pretty cool. <laughs> do you, do you have a couple thousand extra every month left over from your living expenses? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, I think you should be dollar cost averaging Bitcoin and Ethereum every other Monday, regardless of price. Yeah, I probably should. I've been, I, Regar- I, regardless of price, take the stress out of it. Time in the market is better than timing the market. It's been proven. If you like wait for dips, the times you miss out on rises and whatnot, like especially if you wait for a significant dip, just DCA, take the stress, take the, the, uh, the brain, um, the decision-making process out of it. Once you make that choice, you know where your capital is going and what you're investing in. Every two weeks, thousand bucks. Every two weeks, 1500 bucks, whatever you can do whatever 500 bucks and you just do that for the next and like there is going to likely be another like mega bear market where like things might sell off but like we don't know when we don't know right and it's like but if you're if you can hold hold on for one more like bear cycle so bull markets make people money bear markets make people rich so if you can pile in money during a bear market when everybody's like it's going lower it's going lower it's going to it's going to go back to 20,000 it's going to go back to 10,000 like I kind of believe we're going to see Bitcoin in the medium term in the next year, 2022, hit between 100 and 200K. So 150 to 200K, maybe 120, 130 on the low end. And then it'll probably drop back down to around these prices, like 50K US. And that's going to be that 75% drop. If it hit 200K, drops back down to 50. Like that's going to shake out so many people. But buying at 50K in a, in a year and a half or two from now after it drops is going to be such a better deal than it is now from like a risk perspective because it'll have already dropped 75 percent and you just hold on for five to seven years dollar cost averaging every other monday for that you'll be done working yeah yeah no i i i should that is a good point because usually my my thing now is just like i put a bunch in at first and it was it was around ten thousand when i got in and since then i'm just like it'll just be a random day where it's a little bit lower or i just feel like it and i'll just put like five grand in just because it's like I have because sometimes I just have stuff in cash or like in my checking account and I'm like I don't need this like I don't I don't have a ton of things that I'm like worried about getting or whatever and sometimes I'll hold off just like like when I moved back into New York I was I was living with my parents for a few months uh during COVID for a while um, my last lease ended in March so in between uh March and September I was down in Florida with my parents but since then, uh, knowing that I was going to be moving in in September, I was like, all right, I should, I, I have to stop myself from dumping all of my money into Bitcoin just so I have enough to like cover my initial, you know, yeah. security deposit and whatnot. But it, it really is, it comes down to that with, and my friend who got me into it and I joke sometimes just about how little we have in cash sometimes. So it almost forces us to not live like we have a shitload of money, even though, you know, when we look at our, you know, crypto accounts, it, it is quite a bit, but it's funny. Uh, but I should, I should just start not thinking of, that's what my friend does. He does, I think weekly a few hundred every single week. And he's been doing that for, I don't know, three years. Dollar cost averaging, man. It's the best, no matter what asset class you're in, you're just not trying to swing trade day trade. You just get it in there. Time in the market better than timing the market. Yeah, certainly. So yeah, I know that's, that's good advice. I appreciate it, Eric, <laughs> but uh, oh, I'm curious, I'm curious. It looked like you guys were, are you guys on a trip right now or were you this past weekend? We were, we were last week, we were in big white 
uh, out near just outside Kelowna, British Columbia. Okay. So that's a ski resort there. And that was just uh, somebody actually, one of my followers reached out with a ski chalet that they had a ski in ski out pretty, pretty nice high shelf type uh, accommodation. And uh, I, I saw the videos of it on your story. I think, yeah, it looked beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, really, you know, kind of the high life, something to experience. I'm, I just finished the vlog today of me skiing with my son today. And then I'm 80% done the vlog from, from big white. So there'll be, there'll be a, you know, a eight or 10 minute YouTube vlog on our big white trip, which had some powder and amazing stay. And so that was, that was cool. It was sort of like planting a seed for what our next winter could look like if we wanted to go and travel and muck around a bit more um, as a family experiencing ski resorts with creating content. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Do you guys have, so do you guys have trips planned like th for throughout the winter or does it just kind of like, as it comes up, you're like, Oh, let's do this, you know, in a few weeks. Oh, both. Yeah. Um, so as a, as like our resort Fernie Alpine resort is owned by resorts of Canadian Rockies. We get to ski as a staff family pass. We get to ski at Kimberly resort and, and go and go uh, kicking horse resort in golden BC. So there's, a, there's some decent resorts that are worth going to, especially when the skiing was free um and the hotels are cheap uh because of the staff discount so we would always do that last year we won Courtney I won a my first film contest I entered it was a mountain love story contest and I I created a two-minute edit of like how Courtney and I met and how we made a baby by accident and um we won uh three ski trips uh and so we're gonna go to one of, well one of them was in our hometown so we don't need to go to it but we're still doing staycations at the hotel and then we're going to Revelstoke Resort for two nights, two days of skiing. And then Golden, we'll just bring the kids. Um, so it's just a combination of like social media trips. We won, we won some trips and then we get to go ski at a few other resorts for cheap. That's awesome. Do you guys ever make it down to the States, the U.S. Rockies? So uh, as a ski patroller in Fernie, we do exchanges. We would, we would send two patrollers from our resort and trade for a week with two at a different resort. So I've been to um, uh, Big Sky in Montana on exchange and to Crystal Mountain in Washington. But and like many, like every we only get to go every three to five years, depending on the rotation and whatnot. So many of our my teammates and coworkers have gone to Utah and, Jack, you know, Jackson Hole and Colorado and have done exchanges with lots of resorts. So it's a really, it's a cool perk of the job because you're basically on like a working holiday and you, you get shown the red carpet and you literally get to ski the best runs behind the ropes with the patrollers at that mountain. Damn. So. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I actually just, uh, uh, planned a trip with some of my friends to big sky in January. So I'm very excited for that. I, I went there. So like it's a I was, great yeah, I, I went there when I was younger. So like my parents, uh, my dad got into skiing. I think he was a little bit older when he started, but like in his twenties, mid twenties. And I think my mom similarly, but he loved it. And so when we, we, I grew up in Minnesota, but every winter we would do basically family ski vacation, um, every Christmas break. And then he would, my dad would do an individual trip with, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. So he would take one of us, um, just somewhere over like our February break. And that was kind of like a big part of my childhood at the same time I played hockey growing up. So I wasn't able to like ski necessarily a ton, but since then I've, I've absolutely loved it. So yeah, let me know if you're ever in park city, I think that would, I would love to ski with your family and, and hop in with you guys at some point. Um, but, but the, 
I had a guy who helped me with my logo, who's a ski instructor at Park City, and we've talked about linking up and stuff. So if I ever, if we ever do a family uh, trip, it'll be like a, a family season. We'll be coming to a lot of big resorts in the U.S. I think. Okay, let me know. Yeah, we'll be in touch. Uh, I had one more question that I just thought of um, with your kids, like being involved in your content. Do they show? any inklings in wanting to get into their own content or could you kind of see out of, cause you have three kids, right? Could you see if, if any of them maybe show more interest in being involved in the videos or kind of wanting to start to create their own videos at all? So our oldest is eight and they, they get screen time, but we're pretty like limited on that. They don't have any personal devices. They, um, they know what YouTube is. I don't think they like my oldest might know what Instagram is and they don't know what TikTok is. Um, and so they're, we're kind of like, I don't know, shielding them from the drawbacks and downsides of screens and social media. And so it's not really, it's not really in their, in their psyches yet. Um, all they know is daddy makes videos and some people like watching them and, <laughs> And we get to do some trips and get some free stuff because some people like watching the videos. And so, you know, my daughter is like the, 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 the she steals the most hearts and is the ham. My middle child is the most challenging uh, one for us, both of us that just forces us to be patient and become better leaders and parents. And so he will sometimes he's not in the videos as much because he just sort of zooms off and doesn't want to stick around. And I don't want to force him to, to, and then my oldest is like responsible and knows more of what's going on and is like more of a team player and like kind of gets it. And so I think it's too early to tell. I think in another four or five years, the two oldest could have some, some, I'd be totally happy to give them some skills or to like mentor them and teach them and, and have them learn from YouTube. Like we're not anti screens and anti technology, just trying to be mindful at this young age. Yeah. Totally makes sense. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'll be parenting anytime soon, but yeah, I appreciate everything you do. And I absolutely love your content. I think you're doing an amazing job balancing all of that. I can only imagine, I know I, all I have is my own responsibility for myself pretty much. And that's, that can be enough at times, but yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell and getting to know you a little bit, uh, I absolutely love what you're doing and, and really appreciate you taking the time to create all the content and sharing your life with, uh, with the world, Eric. Cool. I appreciate that, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. It's great chat. Great chatting with you today. Yeah. Yeah. I will let you get back to the family, but thank you again for coming on. This will probably be out. I don't know, within the next couple of days, I'm sure I usually just download it and upload it pretty much, but, uh, nope. I will tag you and everything and let you know. Cool, man. Awesome. We'll uh, stay in touch online. Shoot me a DM anytime. Sounds good. All right. Bye, everyone.